Kia ora. Welcome to uh, the panel on RNZ National. We have Sally Wenley, Wade Jackson with me this afternoon. Uh, just a word on this uh, before we get into it in the last, sorry, latest chapter of the government's three water reforms. The High Court has ruled against three councils seeking an ownership declaration. The Timaru, Waimakariri and Whangarei district councils had sought to have their property rights declared by a court. It's in response to the government's plan to shift management of three waters assets from 67 local councils to four large regional purpose built entities. With us is RN is Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch. Kia ora, Craig. Afternoon, Wallace. What exactly were the councils wanting? The three councils, um, I guess you could say they're not the biggest fans of Three Waters. You'll be well aware Three Waters is a contentious project and it has its fair share of critics um, for a number of reasons. The three councils here, they see it as a property grab. They basically say the government is seizing their assets, seizing their infrastructure without properly compensating them so they went to the high court they asked the high court to make a series of declarations basically around property rights the point being that these declarations might embarrass they might inform the government they wanted the high court to state that uh, for example councils own local infrastructure assets that they should that because of that 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 should go hand in hand with the exclusive possession of them the exclusive control of them and also that then compensation should be paid, I guess, if ownership was removed. They haven't got that today, but that that is what they wanted. Right, and so any response from the councils, Craig? Uh, Yes, I have spoken to Nigel Bowen. He's the Timaru Mayor. He is um, disappointed, as you would expect. He is trying to look on the bright side. He Mm. is, um, if you go through the declaration, uh, if you go through the judgment, rather, he points to comments by the judge which referred to the Three Waters project as a form of expropriation. He says that as vindication. Nigel Bowen says that as vindication, that um, that it is expro- expropriation and that compensation, therefore, should be a given. The council is weighing up its next steps. It has a little bit of time to decide what to do next, whether it's going to appeal. Obviously, the judgment fresh out today, so they are still working through yeah. that, um, and then they'll make a call about what next. Very good, Craig. We'll hear more on this, no doubt, uh, this year. That's Craig McCulloch there, RNZ's Deputy uh, Political Editor. Quite a bit of response, too, regarding Slash. That's Sally Winley's I've been thinking, so we'll come to a bit of feedback on that. But people are doing what they can to help others uh, in these rather extraordinary times, aren't they? Uh, and uh, we hope to go to a small Tarafari town store uh, who is using IOUs as currency while the area uh, dealt with having no cash or FPOS. So it's a store doing pretty amazing things north of Tokumaru Bay there. You've been also covering the story, haven't you, Sally? I mean, how have you... How, 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 what's been your response to this story? It's been quite uh, an extraordinary one to cover as well. It has. It's not about me. It's yeah. about all these very brave people who are doing the best they can in the most unexpected, horrific situation. And there are actually, there are so many, it sounds cheesy, but the heroes, um, the people actually who didn't want to be interviewed, who got their boats out, got their utes out, uh, anything they could, and went and rescued, literally literally saved the lives of people off the top of houses. And now we're seeing what's happening with the stock. We're seeing them trying to get ewes out of the silt. Some of them are alive, some of them are not. And helping each other through the silt, trying to get into houses. 
and just wonder what their futures are. Um, just the camaraderie, the community, the giving, the sharing, um, the open-mindedness mm. is just fantastic. But we're hearing a little bit about the crime, at which just is, oh, I don't want to even talk about it, but the way the whole communities are coming together and doing their best and helping each other is just okay. fantastic. It is 12 past four. We'll try and uh, go to that dairy in the Tairawhiti uh, a little bit later or, or perhaps tomorrow. But let's go north now, and Kumara growers are amongst those hit hard from Cyclone Gabrielle and are warning customers to expect shortages. Much of the country's Kumara is grown in the northern region, with rural areas still suffering from flooding, power outages and slips. With me is Kumara grower Warwick Simpson. Hi, Warwick. Hi, Warwick. Now, you're based in Rawai. Uh, how badly have you been affected? Um, yeah, Cyclone Gabriel was pretty bad, lots of flooding. Uh, but I have to say thanks to Civil Defence North Tower, Waka Kotahi and all the volunteers for getting us to a point where we can worry about our businesses, but all the other things sorted, so that's really grateful for that. Um, but yeah, lots of crop has been underwater, and some of it is already dead, some of it we have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, definitely going to be a shortage to the supply of Kumara this season. Yeah, uh, growing in growing conditions this season were already bad? Absolutely. Uh, it's been a really tough planting season. Um, probably industry average would be about 70% of the crop planted in terms of area compared to what we usually would. So it was already not looking great. And then the cyclone came and just made it a bit worse. Yeah, we've got a panel with us. Uh, Sally has a question. The Kumara types, is it the red and the orange Kumara that you grow? Those are two of them. We also grow gold Kumara uh, and a special variety called Honey Sweet. And with it rotting under the ground, what, what do you do? Uh, well, at this stage, uh, most of the paddocks are so wet that we can't do anything because um, you can't drive a tractor on it because the ground's too wet. Uh, in terms of rotting, so the ones that were underwater for several days, um, that paddock's a write-off. For uh, so ones that maybe weren't affected so badly, it's a wait and see. Some of that will rot in the ground and we'll find that when we come to harvest. Some of that crop will rot in storage as a result of being flooded and we'll find that out as the season goes on. Uh, so it's hard to quantify the losses accurately at this point. But yeah. How much of the uh, Kumara supply does Northland uh, attribute, contribute to? I don't have the percentage to hand, but it is most of it. Most of it. Indeed, it's quite a growing country, isn't it? This, is this going to have an ongoing impact for consumers? Actually, for much of the year, Warwick, the fact that, you know, like apples and like a lot of uh, fruit in Hawke's Bay, um, uh, supermarkets uh, actually across the country are going to be really short uh, of Kumara. There's definitely going to be a shortage of supply. Uh, I mean, growers, we obviously love to supply New Zealanders with lots of fresh, nutritious Kumara, and we're going to be doing all we can to do that, but there will definitely be a shortage of supply, yeah. And what percentage of your Kumara would normally go offshore? Fresh, very, very little. I think a small amount of processed Kumara might go offshore, uh, but we're mainly for a domestic market. 
We talked about uh, with Wade earlier on the program, Warwick, uh, the notion of, of anxiety and uh, I guess just preparing for the future and a little bit wider about the future. How is the farming community holding up uh, in the north, in Dargaville and, and the surrounds? Uh, I've been talking to a few community growers around the place. Um, some of them have lost all their crop, and obviously they've taken a pretty hard hit. Uh, but as an industry, we've already started the process of trying to regroup next season, uh, trying to yeah put processes in place and basically make sure that all of our growers can, can come back strong for next season and, once again, provide heaps of Coomera for New Zealand. Absolutely. I know you won't uh, sing of your own sweetness, but well done. Uh, what was that, sorry? I know you won't sing of your own sweetness, but well done on uh, you know getting the community together and uh, uh, helping them prepare for the next season. Great, thanks, Yeah. Good on you, Warwick. That's uh, Warwick Simpson there. It's, uh, gosh, Sally, it's just a reminder, isn't it, of the... The breadth of Psych and Gabrielle, perhaps we, I mean, we did see it as it was rolling and we knew what was going to happen, but just the ferocity, but just the extent of how many regions have been affected. You know, whether we talk about Tarawhiti, whether actually we talk about the Coromandel or those parts of Auckland, the likes of Karakari, where we're going to tomorrow on the panel, Piha, down to Hawke's Bay, it's just something else, isn't it? It is. And it's not when the clean-up is finished, well, I, I know when it's finished, that will be potentially years and years. But what the impact will have on, I think, every single New Zealander, because that's the Kumara crop. Look at all these other crops. Exactly. There's corn, um, mm. there's lettuces, you name it, that is grown in New Zealand. And with inflation, the big thing will be for people in supermarkets, well, first of all, will it be there? And secondly, oh, my goodness, look at the prices. Do you think it'll it'll turn our minds to how we we have talked about food security, haven't we, before uh, pre cyclone in a very nefarious context? But now it's all of a sudden quite sudden. It's quite urgent. You know, we this is the stuff we grow, and yet we can't get it to market. Yes, and I think um, it may mean that a lot of New Zealanders, well, the majority, hopefully, get back to basics of when possible storing food, having, you know, like we did with COVID, having your backups, mm. and also growing food. Mind you, even with the cyclone, my little raised garden out the back got hammered. So it's so unpredictable, but yeah. I think it will make people take a step back and look at what they can do to sustain okay. themselves. Maybe we can come to that tomorrow on the panel, what we can do. Uh, but I want to hear from you this afternoon. Please do text me 2101, and you can email the panel what can't you get a hold of right now uh, at the supermarket? Uh, we can't get a hold of apples where we are. Uh, Tama has uh, just emailed me saying uh, Kumara is already sold out at Pack and Save in Dunedin. I bet we can see the price go sky high in the supermarket rake and the profits. Is uh, Tama's a point of view there, but what can't you get a hold of? Uh, yesterday there was a bit of a shortage of bread. I saw people posting about that. And I think a lot of that at the moment has to do with um, being able to get through the roads. Exactly. Mm. That's right. All right, 2101. Wait. I, just, I was just stoked to see what you could get a hold of was eggs. I went mean, to the supermarket a couple of days ago and 
got a shock to see that the eggs were uh, in fresh supply. Cause There's normally, a news alert. Yeah, yeah exactly. You actually, normally, you actually got eggs? I actually got eggs. I was like, oh my gosh, they're, they're back. Huh. Yeah. They're more expensive than gold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 20 past four, the government has confirmed, this is other news, the government has confirmed it'll establish 82 new attendance officer roles, plus additional further investment for a total of $74 million. We are going back to basics on attendance, the minister said. This $74 million package puts resources on the ground to support schools and students. Now, school attendance has been steadily declining since 2015, made worse by COVID, and that fall has been across uh, every decile, year level, ethnicity and region. So to discuss the issue is Maury Abraham, principal of Hobsonville Point Secondary School. Maury, great to have you on the panel. Great to be here. Kia ora, everyone. Yeah, kia ora. $74 million, uh, 82 new attendance officers. Uh, will it make a dent? It, yes, it certainly will. It's, you know, it's a step in the right direction, and it is um, moving the uh, the resource closer to, to schools. Um, so we're really looking forward to it. And, in fact, we're hosting uh, three days of training here at our school starting tomorrow for... Uh, some of the new attendance officers uh, that are going to be part of this program. So what, as you see it, explain to us the issue, how significant, as you see it, Maury, uh, at Hobsonville Point, is this issue of truancy? Okay, right. So it's pretty hard to tell what, what it's looking like this year because with the big cyclone disruption, we're really only in our second week of classes, um, but it's looking pretty good now. Um, we certainly had a bit of a hit last year, um, but that was largely due to COVID. And I think, you know, it's really important that everybody involved in the discussion keeps the whole issue in perspective because um, lots of figures are thrown around that don't mean much. Um, you know, the, the figure of only 40% attending regularly in Term 2 last year. Yes. All, all that meant was that 60% of the kids in Term 2 when COVID had hit and it's people were isolating and there was also the illnesses had five days of school off so if you got COVID you had to be off for seven days if you're isolated in the family you had to be off seven days we had more than half our kids in that situation so um, I think that particular figure is an anomaly but it makes people think that 60% of the kids aren't attending school um, when in fact um, in the high 80s um, every day 80% you know kids are at school okay all right silly what will these truancy officers do? How will they find the children? Um, yeah, I think they're going to be called attendance officers. Um, and school, schools are um, well aware of, of, their, of their kids in most cases and who they are and, and, and the ones who are uh, falling into bad attendance habits. Uh, it's only a very, very small group of people who aren't attending school. I think the ones they're going to have the biggest impact on are those kids who are starting to show a poor attendance habit um, and we can get some support into them and their family sooner so that they don't fall into the chronic truancy. I think that's the best place that they'll work. What do you reckon, Rowade? What, what are these kids doing? Are they, are they going to malls? Are they hanging at home? Do we know what they uh, yeah, most kids most kids are attending school, but some kids aren't attending regularly. It's only a very small crew who aren't attending school at all, um, and so most of those kids are, are are staying at home, or some of them are out working. 
It is across the board, isn't it? And that's the interesting thing, perhaps, Samori. Uh, and I noticed, or uh, well, the Aero study found, this does include families taking children out for school holidays, be it you know, a couple of weeks skiing. The Aero study found nearly half of all parents, 46% were likely or very likely. So what, what do you think? Does some of this go back on the parents or it, not? Well, it's, it certainly does um, in those circumstances. I mean, since the borders opened up again, we've had uh, quite a number of, of parents who are choosing to travel um, to go and visit family on the other side of the world and they often go two weeks before a term break so straight away that kid's got 10 days off school. Um, you know, so there, there is a lot of that that happens. You see, um, I mean, that's, so- I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking into the context of, uh, of myself um, and I might be pretty old school but um, my father, if I was one day off school there'd be hell to pay. There really would be. There'd be none of this going skiing in term time. There'd be none of this going to Disneyland or going on hot, even for four days. It was school, 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 Maury. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm the same. I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, kids should be at school and there's plenty of time um, when there are school holidays that those sorts of breaks can go. I do, I do have some um, sympathy for people who have been estranged from um, family members for the last three years and uh, are looking for some time to visit. Um, sure. Yeah, but yeah. But Wade, you disagree. You're you're a family that takes uh, your kids out of school all the time. Not all the time, but I definitely believe. For me, uh, having lived overseas, I think travel is the best form of education. But so it's not. I think it's it is. not the best form I, of education. No, it's that? not. It's it's being in school learning no, I think is the best form I, of education. My, the thing that was life changing for me was living in Japan for a couple of years. That just totally. To see other cultures, other language, other way, other ways of perceiving, uh, understanding, it was so enriching. And I think if you can give children that kind, of, if you if you're fortunate enough to give children that experience, I'm not saying go away for two weeks skiing stuff, but if you can give children experience of another culture, another language, and that 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 is a form of education for sure. Stay there, Maury. Yeah, I, Sally. Oh, I, I I agree. Hey, um, Maury, is yep. taking a child out of school for a holiday truancy? Yes. It's, it's unjustified absence. Well, yeah. I've just looked at it in the dictionary, and it says truant means a pupil who step out of school without leave or explanation. So that means that they haven't told the school. I, um, I take my daughter out. She's a Sea Scout, and we're going to take an extra day off um, in a few weeks' time, hopefully to be able to go on a Sea Scout camp. And I feel that is more educational on a Friday when a lot of children are tired to get her up there to Kai Iwi Lakes up in Northland than sitting in a classroom. What's your response to this, Maury? Well, I mean, it is a tricky situation because I agree with the other comment made, you know, going and living overseas in somewhere like Japan is hugely educational, um, but that doesn't impact on a kid's attendance at school here in New Zealand. I think the issue of people travelling away for holidays is something that we should be a little bit concerned about. We we do have arrangements with our kids who have um, passions outside of school um, that requires them to be out of school from time to time to pursue that passion. Um, you know, because we can see how that's part of the educational journey. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. 
A lot of response, needless to say, uh, uh, on this particular issue. Um, in terms of where we uh, lie, Maori, internationally, so similar countries to us have much higher rates of regular attendance. The UK, for example, 90%. Australia, 73%. And ours at last count, 58%. What, what, what does that 58% mean? Well, that's the uh, regular rates of attendance. That's the last. That's the last count. I, I guess I want to ask you: Is are you confident that we will turn uh, attendance rates around in Aotearoa? Yeah, so it's a pretty complex issue, but yeah. I'm confident that if we can get the resource closer to the schools to use, the people who have uh, relationships with the Fano and, and understand their kids, um, if we can get that resource closer to us, then we can use it to. Target individuals. Barry, one more question before we go, Maureen. What age group of students have the are absent from school the most? Um, in, in our experience, it tends to be the more senior years. Do you think they might have jobs? Some do, um, and it's, and that has been an issue um, through the pandemic experience. Um, kids actually having to go out and work and and in fact we've made some uh, part-time arrangements for some of our kids um, who um, do have work commitments but can still fit that around coming to school and stay on the track for the qualifications or the pathway that they need we just feel we've needed to be a bit flexible to make sure it, it, it fits with them Oh, that sounds really good, Maury. Okay, hey, not, lovely to have you on, Maury, and thank you cool. for your time today. That's Maury Abraham, Principal of Hobsonville Point Secondary School. Someone says travel is so important and family time is so important. And let's be real, many people possibly travel in term time because the cost of living is so high and travel during the holiday period is sometimes double the price if you're flying or booking accommodation. Uh, totally accept that, Kia ora. Uh, Wallace, I agree with your panel members that travel overseas can be educational, but to be fair, once my son started high school, we did not take him uh, on our overseas trips. I just, I just don't get why you'd um, pull your kids out of class um, to go on a trip. It also depends when, whenabouts in the year it is. Like if you're getting down to the gritty and pointy end of exams and things like that, then yeah, you wouldn't be going overseas then. But the start or, of the, or anywhere, the start of the yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the start of the year, I think there's a little bit more flexibility with it. And what about uh, school sports groups or something? They they go away for weeks for tournament, for a week for a tournament. That's not the traditional school learning. Curriculum. Wallace, would school you, curriculum. Would you support that? Of course I would, because that's part of the school curriculum. Yes, so that's, that's, so that's, if I went to watch a, a test match of the Black Caps with, the, with Junior, um, I'd say that's sort of extracurricularly important. Let me think about that. Uh, you're on the, uh, here's one. We applied for exceptional leave to take our kids out for one day to go to a family reunion, and it was recorded as an unjustified absence, even though the school gave us permission. If we hadn't take them out, taken them out that day, we would have all missed the reunion. This makes me feel like there's a massive gap in cultural understanding. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Wallace just doesn't get it. All right, you're on the panel. <laughs> I'm just texting that one in. Oh, no, there's, there's quite a few of those, actually. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Nice to have your company this afternoon. You can get in touch by 2101, or you can email us, panel at rnz.co.nz. It's time for headlines.